Welcome to Let's Finally Watch This, a podcast for casual movie fans who have always meant to watch classic movies. My name is Nick Hayden. And my name is Timothy Deal. And this is our wrap-up to season two. Hey, we made it through another season. We did. We made it through 12 more decades. That's right. Man, for all the way from 1903 to 2013. Yes, it's been quite the trip. A very different trip. And yeah. We'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Our, our movies wound up being more eclectic than we realized going into this whole thing. Yes. But it was still fun. It was, a, it was good movies. Generally very good movies. Yeah. So we have new film history for you guys this time, but we have a few corrections and summaries for you. Yeah, well, we might touch a few new things, but uh, but yeah, let's, let's kind of recap a little bit of uh, recap and correct some of what we talked yes. about in our history sections. So first, some corrections. Of course, there are a lot of Japanese and Italian names that got thrown around in those respective episodes. And I said in those that there might be some mispronunciation, so I'm not going to correct that now. But I was made aware of two of them, or at least one I, I discovered myself upon editing the episode, particularly in episode uh, 17 when we talked about 1963 and Sidney Poitier. Poitier. Poit- Sidney Poitier won the, was the first black actor to win an Oscar. Okay. I remember when I was saying that part, I was like, I'm not saying something wrong here, but I was... <laughs> trying to get through too much stuff and forgot. Then I listen, it's like, no, it's not Poitier. It's <laughs> Poitier. Um, I think it's a name of Bahamian origin, if I okay. remember right. Okay. So anyway, that's that. And then, strangely enough, my mom pointed out that in the the Right Stuff episode, we kept saying Chuck Yeager's name wrong. It should be Yeager. We kept saying Yeager. We, we Americanized it even farther. Well, <laughs> to be fair, it's spelled Y-Eager, Y-E-A-G-E-R. Yep. So I had been reading it for like the last week instead of just hearing it. I had seen the movie a week ago and even yeah. where they say Yeager. But anyway, Chuck Yeager was the uh, test pilot's name. So there you go. I did also want to add, since we always enjoy pointing out connections to movies yes. that we have. You mean like Kaguya and Elf? Yes, <laughs> which this season was kind of wild. But from our Shadow of a Doubt episode, Joseph Cotton, who plays Uncle Charlie in that movie, he also appeared in our movie from the 40s last season. He was in The Magnificent Ambersons as uh, he played the automobile yeah, uh, and that magnet. Was, he was great. Well, that whole movie was great. That whole yes. movie was great. He feels like a much older character in that movie too. yes he does i think because they give him a mustache that does it yeah mustache, mustache means you're you're yep. an older dad just like in a movie <laughs> if you give them give a girl a pigtail they're suddenly like teenager the, yeah right exactly yep. that's all you need yep so yeah he did a great job i thought that'd be fun to point out and one last thing i thought this was interesting we didn't get a lot of feedback from our audience uh scold shame on you or <laughs> remember that next time but my mom did point out we sometimes would talk about certain episodes but she pointed out on the right stuff. We talked about how they were very limited in some of their camera angles. And she thought that also kind of reflected the limited point of view for the astronauts, that they're in this very confined now, space. Would she do that from memory or did she, did she go watch the movies when we talk about them? I think that was probably more from memory. Okay. She did. She, I had sent her the list of movies this season and she tried to watch a few of them before their oh, actual episodes came out. So, interesting. Uh, mom putting in the extra mile there. No so, kidding. Thanks, thanks, mom. <laughs> We should, we should have a, a sponsored link to Amazon to get money wherever you go and rent a movie yeah. from one of these. Yeah, there you go. That, that'd be great. Yep. That'd be great. <laughs> 
Well, last season, we talked a lot about, we covered two main things in our history section. We talked about the battle over control for yep. what kinds of movies get made and who makes them, the director, the studios. And we talked about the technology that kind of drove what the yeah, movies the look like. Yep. Yeah. And basically, the, both of those things are one of the pillars of the filmmaking industry, production. This season, in addition to, we fleshed out a little bit more of the first three decades of the 20th century. We didn't do much of that last time. We didn't do a lot of that. But we also got on the topic, and partly because of, we were talking about the early, the birth of the film industry more in those early decades. We got into talking about film exhibition, Mm -hmm. which is another one of the pillars of the filmmaking industry. And it was just an interesting thing. We talked about, early on, we talked about the movie palaces, and then later we were talking about megaplexes. And you had asked, I think, in the Right Stuff episode again, so why didn't we do, you know, it wasn't until like 1980s that they were even thinking about doing more screens. Screens at the same time, overlapping showings and everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, one thing I, it occurred to me after that is that part of it is, remember, the movie theaters, the majority of them were owned by the studios. Oh, yeah. Up into into the 1950s. And it really wasn't like the first three screen theater didn't come up until mid-1960s. So if you think about it in a certain way, the studios who had their own theaters and that also meant they really, you know, they own their own theaters, so they're going to have their movies, give their yep. movies priority. They didn't really have a lot of cause to innovate and have need multiple yeah, we, screens. Got, we own it here. Watch it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Plus, during that period, there was still the, the double feature program, your B movies, where oh, yep. you would have a newsreel, a, a live action short, a cartoon short. And then you'd have your B movie, mm-hmm. which was kind of your lower budget production number. Yeah, and which has given us many good joys afterwards. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, it, it, for Mystery Science Theater, especially in the 1950s and 60s. And then after that would be the A movie, the prestige movie. So again, you didn't have as much of a need, these theaters, to have multiple screens because people went to the theater because we're going to spend a whole evening here yeah. because we don't have TVs at home. That's true. Yeah. So it was a whole event. It was a whole event, yeah. So that was one screen was enough. So and that lasted from the 1920s into the 1950s, kind of dying out in 1960s again. Television era, people didn't need to spend that much time yeah. at a theater. So we kind of didn't really talk about that era of the of the theaters as much. So. Yeah, that was a little missing link. Yep, yep, because we got distracted talking about Hitchcock and uh, yep, it happens Italian cinema and all that stuff. Yes, which was fun stuff. But I think it's interesting to think about the format. Not only the format of what technology is available that determines what kinds of movies get made, but also how the audience receives those movies. Yes. Whether it's in a a movie palace with big ornate things and double features, or if it's in a multiplex where the focus is more on a, you know... Showing a million things. Showing a million things, having your pick, spectacle, all that stuff. And even also from like the home entertainment market. Yeah. A lot of B movies that didn't, that were made for B movies for double features, studios wound up recycling to put them on television. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's one way a lot of cult classics got formed. Well, a lot of modern, a lot of like, say it's Christmas season right now, a lot of Christmas classics came just because they would syndicate. I think when It's a Wonderful Life was much more popular. Yeah. Afterwards. Yeah, after after it was on TV. I think the same is true. For, I mean, Wizard of Oz was big, but I think it got forgotten about later on yeah. and kind of resurrected through TV. And I say all that, and you're like, why are you getting into all this? Well, again, the history is fascinating to look at not only how what determines what movies get made, but how, how the audience receives them. Because this year, 2023, has been a very interesting year in terms of the future of yeah. the movie market, both in terms of going to the theater and home entertainment when you get your movies at home. 
for two reasons, or a couple of reasons. We had the strikes yep. that you know really slowed things down, but then we also had some of our this year, twenty twenty three. We had some of our big movies that were expected to be blockbusters not do well, mm-hmm. and then you had the the Barbenheimer yep, phenomenon. Bar- yeah, Barbenheimer. Yeah, and it was an event. It was an event. It was an event, and it was double feature. A double feature, and <laughs> even yes. So that's fascinating. That it's not that. People don't want to go to the theaters, but they want to go to the theaters for the right reasons. Yeah. And and there's less reason. It takes more of a reason now because they have streaming and mm-hmm. internet and fill, fill in the blank. Yeah. Like the studios can't assume anymore that they're just going to go to see whatever, just automatically going to go to the next Marvel movie. Yeah. Not, it used to be the case. It's not anymore. It's got to be good. It's got to be good. It's got to be with or the audience. different or yeah. something. Got, and again, you can't, it's hard to capture that. No one's figured out how to capture that magic yet. Yeah, not really. I mean, I guess the other big movie theater story of the year is apparently Taylor Swift's concert movie, which this is interesting. You know, so two pillars of the movie business we've talked about so far are production exhibition. The The third one is distribution. Oh, yeah. Taylor Swift didn't go through any exhibitors for her concert thing because they didn't want to make a deal with her. And she's like, okay, I'm Taylor Swift. I'm going to do what I want. And she went straight to the theaters themselves rather than through a distribution company. That movie cost her somewhere between 10 and $20 million to do because she was already doing the concert series. And it's made like over 200 million. Yeah. Like again, without having that third middleman involved. And we already know that independent movie companies like Angel Studios is doing interesting business now yeah. with movies like um, The Sound of Freedom. And that did very well. It's one of the highest grossing films domestically anyway of the year. Yeah. So it's it's going to be interesting. And streaming right now itself is in this really weird predicament in that there's too many streaming services out there and, and yet and they're can, not profitable. You still can't find if, if it's old, you still can't find it. Yeah. It's just weird. I, I don't know that, like, we often assume that whatever the current technology is, that it's going to remain that way. And people th- have th- said that same thing about streaming for a long time, but I don't know. It could, the model could completely change. And I know in some ways that's talking about TV more than movies, but a lot of people get their movies through streaming. Yeah. So and apparently Netflix now has physical locations. Yeah. I don't know what that's all about. It is. But anyways, we're going back physical, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, all the movies that we watched for this, with the exception of like three that we we watched on YouTube, the first two, which were public domain, and then we rented, had to rent through YouTube eight and a half. Yes. Italian. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of them we watched through physical media. Yep. Usually checked out from a public library. Libraries are great. Libraries (laughs) are great. And I can't help but wonder if... You know, if it becomes too much of a problem to like having access to all movies ever made just at the push of a button, as great as that sounds for the consumer, is probably not sustainable. Yeah. So I think it'll be interesting to see. One, I would love to see consumers get more intentional about their entertainment choices. Like, great thing about doing this podcast is we can say, we're going to watch these, these movies. movies. And, and then we, we really absorb them and dissect them and think about them. And they're, they're purposeful. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be fascinated to see if we have some sort of return to that. I mean, again, people who are into collecting cinephiles, that kind of stuff, they they know the value of having physical media. But I do wonder if that will ever come back around. I bet well, somewhat same way records now sell. They've been growing. Again, that's a certain subsection of the music population. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's possible. I have this feeling that media doesn't ever fully die out. You know. People thought audio play dramas were dead. Yeah, and now they're twenty like years ago. Now there's resurgence in certain ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the markets may not ever be 
the same as like as it was at a certain period of time. Yeah. But I feel like there's going to be continuing to be an recurrence interest, kind of like a wave almost, like mm-hmm. it ebbs and flows. But anyway, those are some of the things I wanted to uh, uh, <laughs> no, been on my good. mind because it was a very interesting year. It was an interesting year for media, for movies. Yeah, for sure. So, Nick, did you have any other um, things that we talked about from the history sections of the season that's really stuck out to you? I found it very interesting hearing about um, like the Italian new French New Wave and how Italian films and you know going to some of the different cultures, which I know less about than American <laughs> movies. Which is you know I'm on this podcast so I can learn. <laughs> um, so I thought that was that was really fascinating stuff. So I think that might that might stand out more. Just some some of those forays into how other cultures have processed the same sort of waves that we have earlier or later. Yeah, that that was probably my favorite section too, researching, learning more about the Italian film because I didn't know a whole lot either. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm curious going forward. You know, we did this thing where we would dive a little bit or touch a little bit, do a quick survey of a certain film genre. Yeah, which was interesting. I do wonder in a future season if we would wind up going that route again or if we should focus more on the era. I know something we said in the wrap up last season was that we could look more specifically on the year that it came out. I don't mm-hmm. know, think I wound up doing that this season. But well, we had a whole different, we talked about exhibition so much. We didn't talk tons about the actual history of the decade, but we could go, you know, laser focus in. Yeah. So that's well, a possibility. Well, the newer decades. The older ones get a little harder to do that in. Yeah. It takes a little bit more research yeah. and the nitty gritty of one particular year, especially since trick about doing this year by year you know yeah. then then it's like you there's a little bit less new stuff going from 19 say 1942 to 1943 yeah the other thing i do everyone's well when we dig into like a director like we did um cecil b demille is like yeah that's a name i knew but really only from 10 commandments and hearing more of the surrounding was very interesting some of the early the, the, the personality they find very interesting we talked about Fatty Arbuckle and Mabel and I don't know most of these, most of these people until we get to the eighties. Sure, know? sure. And so some of those creative types and how they influenced just what came next. Even um, Fellini, is that yeah, Fellini, Fellini. I mean, Federico that, Fellini. Even hearing about kind of his stuff is interesting because it's like when you read a book, you get a series of books you love, and you are like, okay, I want to know about this author, and then you <laughs> you know, it just adds a different angle to a movie when you kind of know the. Not just a setting it's coming from, but the personalities. Yeah, I guess it it sort of gives a character to the history. Yeah. Like in a story. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It exists somewhere in a psychological and cultural moment. Okay. Yeah, that's something we'll we'll think about that. We'll talk a little bit toward the end of this episode about whether uh, what a future season might look like or when. But that being said, I would love to hear, folks, if you have something you would like to hear us talk about more in the future season, please let us know. So I guess next we're going to go to the the real heart of this wrap up, which is our uh, list of the most essential movies from this season. And so when we talk essentialness, this does not mean necessarily our favorites. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. But it does mean kind of like, since this is a podcast for casual movie fans who have always meant to watch classic movies, if you only watched a handful of them, what is the most important one for you to watch as a casual movie fan to kind of be, give you the most bang for your buck for Seeming like you're, you know what you're talking about. 
Yeah, I know some people were a little surprised with some of our picks last time. Like we we ranked Blade Runner. Well, when when we talked about Blade Runner, we thought it was not one of our favorites, but mm-hmm. we ranked it kind of higher in our essential list than I think some people expected. But that's because there's again, there's a difference sometimes between how much you like a movie or respect and, it and or, how important it is. And how important it is. How you sometimes you have to recognize that a movie is important even if it's not one that you're particularly in love with. And sometimes like a movie will you might not love it, but you're like suddenly having had that in your background, you're saying like, oh, I can make so much more, many more connections. Or when some cinemaphile talks about something, I'm like, oh, I know what you're talking about. Like, right. I get it. Yep. So, yeah. So this is our um, starting. We have 12 movies this season. And again, I think you did mention this, that this is for this is still essentialness for casual movie fans. Yes. So if we were doing this list for film buffs, it would probably look very different. <laughs> but yeah, this is if you're a casual movie fan. Here's what you need to watch and other ones that you can pass if you want to. I mean, they're they're all worth watching. They're all worth watching. We'll tell you at the end what our favorites are. Yes. So, Tim, on the bottom of the list, what is the, I hate to say it, I guess, least essential movie we watch this season? At number 12, we put Mabel's New Hero. And I think I alluded to this even in that episode that we picked this movie mainly because, well, there wasn't a whole lot in 1913 yeah. that really stood out to me, at least in terms of American it films. It kind of had important characters in it. It wasn't a yeah. super important movie. It was fun. We enjoyed it. Yes. But it was basically just, it's short. It has some well-known actors from the time. Yep, it's the silly. <laughs> yeah, I never heard of it before. I've not really seen, like, doing my research, I didn't see a whole lot of writing about it. So it has really no impact coming going forward. No, so. but they're, but they're, it's a fun little flick, and they're good characters, so it was still worth talking about, even if it's at the bottom of this list. All right. Number 11. The Ten Commandments. The other one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Again, we're talking 1923 Ten Commandments, and this one... In some ways, because historically, this movie is really a footnote. It's mm-hmm. a footnote to the the later Ten Commandments movie. It's an important one in the career of Cecil B. DeMille, but the other one so for, overshadows For casual one. fans, it's not that important. It's, yeah. I mean, if you were doing a deep dive and do, you know, Cecil B. DeMille and yeah. War or something, maybe, but... But, yeah. As it stands, it's, it is what it is. It is what it is. It was an interesting flick, but yeah, not, not essential. Okay, number 10. 42nd Street. Oh, 42nd Street. This one might surprise some people. I mean, this, this is a film that's on multiple like all, all AI lists. lists. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But at the same time, we just found it rather disappointing. I, I feel like this is a movie that gets hyped up by people on the East Coast, particularly New York Broadway people. And it might be more like, again, for casual movie fans, you, you watch it just like, why? Why is this important? Like, we took a while, even in our research, trying to figure out why does this matter? Because it... I think it was a stepping stone, but it still feels like a footnote, I guess, for For a casual movie fan. Yeah, for the casual. Like, again, the Busby Berkeley music sequences are probably the best part of it. Yes. And you've certainly seen that idea of his style of movie musicals, even if you're not aware of it. But But it wasn't enough to be like, let's move it up the list. Yeah, agreed. Okay, number nine. The Right Stuff. We made our list individually, and this is really the only one after we came back together that we moved in place, but we, we moved it down a little bit. I think it, it's a great movie. Again, it's not one that I was really familiar with. Yeah, it is a really good movie, but it's kind of is, it's just his own thing. Yeah, it's a very distinct genre in some ways. I mean, it's a historical film, and there's lots of historical ones, but the fact, like, there's really no one main character. Mm-hmm. The director maybe tries to make Jaeger uh, <laughs> a main character, but he really isn't. So yeah, it it's a great depiction of the space race, but a good movie. But again, essential is still in the bottom half of being essential. Yeah, I think that's really all I have to say about the essentialness of it. Okay, number eight is 
Eight and a half. Eight and a half. Now, this is where, if this was a film buff list, this would be moved way up. Yes, for sure. Apparently, at one time, Terry Gilliam wanted to call Brazil 1984 and a half. <laughs> the half part being very specifically as a homage to this Which movie. Which would make sense for but him there was and a, that movie. Yeah, but there was someone else who did their own adaptation in 1984 around the same time. So I was like, well, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. But yeah, this is a very important movie. It's it's way down on this list for casual movie fans because it is very niche. It is very... It's very film heavy. Like, it's a film about film. Yeah. And it's definitely going to appeal the most to that audience. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's very good at what it does. Yes, indeed. But it's going to be very... Um, it is avant-garde. And in that sense, it's going to be very select audiences who are going to be able to enjoy it. Yeah. Okay, number seven. Shadow of a Doubt. So this is Hitchcock. So that's one reason it's... Not the bottom. That's right. <laughs> and we considered moving it up, but at the end of the day, it's also what I feel is not Hitchcock's most famous movie. Yeah, it's, it's a good Hitchcock. Yep. Hitchcock loved it, as we talked about. Yes. But if you go to Casual Movie Fan, there's other Hitchcocks that you would should, should go watch first. Yeah. Rear Window is a must. Some people would say Vertigo. I'd be like, mm. but it's a very well-known one. Uh, North by Northwest. North by Northwest, absolutely. I would even say To Catch a Thief. I think that was, To Catch a Thief might be the very first Hitchcock movie I ever saw. Okay. Because it, it really is like as much, it's like a, a very tame James Bond in some ways. For notoriety, Psycho. Yeah, for notoriety. I've yeah. actually never seen Psycho really? myself. Exactly. Yeah. It is good. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah. So that might have to show up one of these times. Yeah, yeah. possibly. Possibly. We'll see. But yes, Shadow Doubt, great movie. But, great movie. But uh, yeah, it just doesn't have the uh, clout to rank it any higher than number seven. All right. Uh, so now we're in the upper half, Tim. That's right. Again, we're, we're in kind of the, this is, I guess, the halfway point here. Yes. So the middle is always a little fuzzy, a little squishy, because it's like, oh, they, they could move these around or. Yeah. So yeah. whatever. So number six, Tim. The Sting. The Sting. This is another one we considered ranking higher because. You had heard of it. <laughs> I've heard of it. It won an Academy Awards. It's kind of always kind of been in my in the back of my mind is like a good important movie. Mm-hmm. But simultaneously, it's kind of its own thing. Yeah, it's in a category of its own, the con movie, which is not a huge genre, and it's not necessarily a big influential genre. It's not like westerns, which yes. is like a one of the kingpins of film genres. Yes, it's kind of it's more specialty. I mean, I feel like we've been saying niche a lot today. This, this, season, this entire season is like that. Like Every movie seems like it's really important for these people. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, was not intentional when we were planning out the season. We were just, when we pick out movies for season, part of what we're looking for, I mean, I make three nominations based mm-hmm. on what I perceive as notoriety and, and no movies that neither Nick or I have seen. But also, we're looking for a variety of stuff. Yeah, we don't want to watch all westerns or all comedies, so we purposely pick, like, here's the weird Italian film, here's our western, here's a con movie. Yeah. But it just came out this time where each of those different genres were kind of like a pretty good representation of that, but they were just a little niche. Yeah, but yeah, not, not as widely well-known as this. And again, this thing is a great movie. It is a great movie. Yeah, well worth watching, but I just felt like, I don't know that it gets talked about as being as influential as, uh, or at least as important as some of these next ones. Yes. Number five, Tim? The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. This and, one might be the one we have the most personal bias. Yes, yes. Here. This, I mean, it's the newest. So that's always gives it a little, it's hard to judge the newest ones. Yeah. But it has a Ghibli behind it, which is part of the reason it's up here. But it's, Studio Ghibli is very well known, very well respected. It's like, it's like you watch Hitchcock, you watch Ghibli. They're, yeah. they're, they're worth watching simply because of that. Like they're probably the best known Japanese studio, animation studio yeah. for sure. But they're also one of the... Of the well-known animation studios, they're probably right up there with Pixar and oh yeah, um, Illumination with, or some with of those. 
with delivering consistently good movies. Yes. And this is a fabulous, fabulous movie. Yeah. And so it's and artistically, not- I think, like you said, it'll last the, the art style and the, the delicacy it's done with. I think it will continue to grow in popularity, probably. Yeah, I believe so. All right, number four. Sleepless in Seattle. Again, this is where we've got kind of what I consider just kind of a okay movie, but we got it high up here because it is super well known. It's well known. It kind of redefined the romantic comedy. Yeah, it kind of kept romantic comedies, made sure that it was going to be an important genre of it the made 90s. Tom Hanks kicked off his career in a new way. Yeah, it certainly it certainly helps. The same with Meg Ryan. Yeah. It's an iconic movie of hers. So it's just, it's iconic. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it is iconic. And it, it does have very clever dialogue. It's timeless in that sense. It so. is. Like, we had our issues with the story, but it's a very well-written movie. Yeah, for sure. Your number three? Elf. Which, if you haven't seen, <laughs> some, Tim. Uh, yeah. <laughs> some people might rank this one up higher because it is, you know, it's some people's favorite Christmas movie. I just, I couldn't bring myself to the I, I think, the, I think our three. one or twos are more central for... The 120 years of movies. Yes, the, the the grand scope of things, yeah. But, I mean, this is such a popular movie these days, and especially around Christmas time, which I guess this wrap-up comes up after Christmas. And, but. again, it's kind of an unsung here, uh, part of it, but, like, John Favreau, I mean, it's kind of also kind of a turning point for him, yeah. who has since done a lot of things that have entered the popular culture. Like, John Favreau started the MCU, practically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. not he was not the producer, but he directed Iron Man. Well, and he also started a Star Wars streaming series. Yeah, the Mandalorian <laughs> stuff. Like, he has become a big mover and shaker in the film world. And even though this is not the first movie he directed, this is the first massively successful movie that he did. Yeah, so for multiple reasons, it's pretty high up here. Yep. Okay, number two. Shane. 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 Why are you going, Shane? <laughs> Anyways, we like to make fun of it, but first off, it's a very good movie. Yes. Very well written, but it's just kind of that quintessential Western. Yeah. This really is a foundational movie. I mean, maybe foundation is not the right word, but such a uh, touchstone. Touchstone. That's a good Yeah, good Like, word. definitely, like, there are themes and ideas that are in Shane that people would re- be referring to for decades to come. Yes. It encapsulated the Western beforehand and then made kind of this new touchstone for moving forward. Yes, absolutely. Between the way that the characters are done and a little bit of ambiguity and the way the sound effects and the way violence is, is treated. We covered a lot of that in our episode. Yep. Go listen to it if you didn't. But yes, Shane, number two. And then number one, Tim? The Great Train Robbery. And this is a kind of an interesting number one. Yes. But it'd be as short. It is very short. And we considered having it lower down, actually. But I maintain that I think this is essential. I think every single movie viewer should watch The Great Train Robbery at some point, just because it is that historically important. And again, because it is so short, it's very approachable. And it's and for being a hundred and what hundred and twenty years. years old, it's remarkably relatable. Yeah, like it it moves. There's pacing. There's story. There's action. It's a western, so it just gets that American movie vibe going <laughs> in a different way than Man of the Moon did. Yeah, it's in every list ever about. Important movies. You mean a trip to the moon? A trip to the moon. Yeah, I always say that. <laughs> Man to the moon. But yes, it is all those things. And it doesn't rank necessarily high on my personal favorites list. But no one's, going to, of, it's no one's favorite movie. No, probably not. But it is absolutely worth watching. Again, just just to appreciate, to think about how far film has come in 120 years. Yes. So those are the most essential, our list of most essential movies of the last season. Mm-hmm. Which are different than our favorites. Because favorites, I mean, it doesn't matter whether it made any a lick of difference in the world. 
I liked it. <laughs> That's right. So, Tim, I don't know if we'll read our entire lists. Yeah. But you, you want to tackle the, the top five? Let's, and ma- let's do the top five or so. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think when I was looking at our lists, our top five are like practically identical. Yeah. Yeah. So do we want to start from the bottom and go up? Sure. Sure. So my number five was eight and a half. My number five was Shane. Okay. Both both great, great movies. movies. Yeah. yeah. I mean, eight and a half is uh, just intellectually eight, fascinating. Eight and a half is my number four. Okay. So, yeah, eight and a half is one of those movies, like, I'm not sure I would love to watch, but it just sits there and it, and you think about it and you're like, that was clever and what does this mean? And and I like movies like that. Like last season, I loved Unforgiven mm. for the mm-hmm. same reason. You know, it just kind of sits there and you can r- roll it around in your brain for a while. And yeah. If you watch it again, I would probably get more out of it. But it's not an easy watch. No, it's not. And worldview-wise, I probably don't agree with what it has to say. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the craft of it is fascinating. It's a the, craft movie. It really is a craft movie. Yeah, absolutely. Like The great thing about it as a craft movie, too, is that it's not super depressing. I think mm-hmm. the stigma that a lot of art movies have is that they're gritty, they're gruesome, you know, gangs of New York. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Artsy movies, technically, I guess, but like it's so bogged down by darkness that it's hard to like have any enthusiasm for it. This one, it has dark moments for sure, but it's... It's playful in a weird way. Yeah, it really is. And the playfulness and the mystery about it just makes you want to like dissect it more. And it's very unique. There's nothing like it. Yeah. I mean, it's a one of a kind. Yeah. I mean, it certainly influenced a the, lot of meta sort of meta storytelling after it. And Terry Gilliam almost named a movie after it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's something it's something unique for so sure. So what's, what's your number four? My number four is Shane. Okay. So we'll move on to okay, that now. So Shane, again, it's a classic movie. Like yeah. it just, it's, it's set up well, good characters, a little too much name of Shane. Uh, <laughs> but it, even us making fun of it, it's kind of, just good nature gripping. It is. It's just it, it's just an all around decent movie. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's better than decent, but I meant that just sort of in that sort of like good old American movie. <laughs> yeah. There you go. It's strong characters, good morals overall in it. And it's it's more it's a little more amb- ambiguous and complex than some of the more simplistic westerns. Yeah. Yeah. There. I mean, definitely raises question. That, you know, like on the one level, Shane is the outsider who needs to protect the people. But on the other hand, there are consequences to how he has to do that. And the bad guy, at least are given some reasons for his reasonings. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's just a good movie. Yeah. Quality stuff. Okay. What's your number three? My number three, I think this is where our lists are the same at this point out, but number three is Shadow of a Doubt. Shadow of a Doubt. Same with you? Yes. Excellent movie. Very literary script. Lots of, you know, symbolism between, the, between twins and light and dark and mm-hmm. the ways things are set up. Great humor in the middle of it. Yeah, this is another one that I came to appreciate even more in the um, putting together the episode for it. Mm-hmm. Because I think I expressed a little bit of disappointment it wasn't more suspenseful when watching it. But sitting back and thinking about and getting to analyze the the character interplay and the cat and mouse stuff. And, and it's just Hitchcock. Hitchcock's direction is always interesting to yes. watch. So I think you said before, his... Movies sometimes feel almost like a play, not in that they're staged, but like everything means something. Yeah. All the movements are motivated Everything's by something. Everything's very purposeful. So it's, yeah, very literary film in that sense as yeah. well. Yeah. Okay, number two is? 
The Sting. The Sting. The Sting's just so much fun. It's probably the most. It's probably the funnest movie this season. Yeah, it probably is. I mean, the music, the costumes, the characters. It's the con. The con. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the best written scripts for this we had yep. this season. Just the way that it's all presented. We're probably going to wind up talking a little bit about the Sting and Derail Trains of Thought in that upcoming topic yes. discussion. But I would love to see more modern filmmakers take more cues from the Sting. Not necessarily that I'm always looking for a we surprise ending. Yeah. But just in the in the knowing what's going through your audience's head. I think not, it's a very tight script. It's a very tight script. I, I feel like a, not enough modern filmmakers are tracking where they're on. They're, they yeah, they're not following what what's what's they're what the audience us, knows. They're either giving us not enough or way too much. Yeah. So yeah, the sting number two, and number one is the tale of the princess Kaguya. It's just it's a beautiful movie. We love this movie. Yeah, it was a great movie. I was talking to my wife. And her big thing about it, and I get this, is like the ending is a little annoying. I don't know annoying. There's something about the end, you know, with the, not so much a sad part of it, but just the the kind of Buddha thing. kind of like, hmm. oh, I don't know what's going. But it's a great movie. That yeah. was her main thing about it. But yeah. I, 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 It's one of those things that I think it's more strange because you're not familiar with the story I think so. going into yeah. it. And then you watch the second time, you're fine with it. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's sort of like. Spirited away in some ways. Yes. Very better big second time through. Yeah, big culture shock the first time. But it's a beautiful movie. It's yeah. absurdly well written. The art style is gorgeous. I mean, the the artistry on every frame of this thing it, is amazing. It makes you ache yeah. in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Janelle commented when she listened to our episode that we kept talking about like, oh, there's just so much to talk about. And I'm like, well, yeah, because it was a really long episode. So yeah. like there are a lot of things we could talk about, but we were, but yeah, we were a little bit limited by our format. Plus, man, folks, just go see it. Like, yeah. I, know, I know we were already kind of biased because it was Studio Ghibli and we love almost everything they do. But it was also just very, very good. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. All right. So, that, yeah, so those are what we would both, so our top five. Yeah. If you have, if you watch none of these, we would highly recommend any of those five. That's right. Now, in half, probably with a little proviso that it's in half. But. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> If you listen to our discussion about it, you probably know. If you enjoyed The Prisoner, go watch Eight and a Half. <laughs> That's Amazon's recommendation. <laughs> there you go. So I'm curious, Nick, what was what was on the bottom of your list? Uh, 42nd Street. Yeah, that was mine too. Yeah. Just, um, <laughs> How about number 11? I put Ten Commandments, but oh. I'm, not, I'm not actually sure. Here's the thing. It might be higher. I don't know. It's, it's in my bottom third, Ten Commandments. I, like, I remember liking it, but then compared to everything else. Yeah. I kind of had it at the same same yeah. same point. So our lists were relatively pretty similar. Yeah, I think my number ten is probably a little different from yours. What's your ten? My number ten was Elf. Oh, see, I moved my yeah. Elf was higher than that. Yeah, but, I yeah. figured as much. Anyway, that's our season. All right, that was it. Was a very different season. Yeah, but a lot of. A lot of really interesting movies that I, w- I would never have thought of watching without this season. Yeah, that's that's one of the fun things about doing this show. That definitely forces us to watch things that are, again, not necessarily our first choice, but it's usually something very educational to watch regardless. Yes. So I said that we weren't sure what we were going to do future seasons. If you haven't listened to Derailed Trains of Thought, our mothership podcast, where we talk about all manner of storytelling. For the creator and the consumer. That's right. We're going to be getting ready to do a hiatus of Derailed Trains of Thought come next year. Yes. We're going to go on a hiatus following our 150th episode, which should... March? March, I think, is technically when it's scheduled to come out. So I don't know what that means for this show. Let's finally watch this. Um, I'm kind of taking a little bit of a 
creative pause from podcasting to, well, to do other stuff. You got a new kid. You got yes. other. I mean, we, we've been right. doing a lot of podcasting lately. I think we touched on that recently that like in the Kaguya episode, that's we're expecting a baby and that baby did arrive in yes. case you hadn't heard. Baby David arrived at late October and he's doing great. He's a cute little guy. <laughs> so yes, being a new dad will be a thing. I also have aspirations to write a novel next year. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I, we love doing this this podcast, but this podcast in particular is a lot of work. Yeah, especially for Tim. Tim does a lot of the heavy lifting here. Yeah, between the research, reading stuff. I mean, granted, you're a re- resident film buff. So. Yeah, so there's a little bit of responsibility there. And and I'll admit, a lot of my research comes from Wikipedia, so it's not the most scholarly. But this year, I did pull out some more. I went and checked out a, some biographies on Cecil B. DeMille and Hitchcock, and some topics just required a little bit yeah. more digging than others because I didn't know a whole lot about um, Italian, Italian film. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then the actual editing process is, is quite a bit more elaborate than the Dural Trains episodes, too, trying to find clips and which pick out which clips and where to put them and et cetera, et cetera. So I love doing this podcast. I don't know if it will be. Yeah, I just don't know. It's, if I want to take a hiatus, we'll wind up doing yeah. it next year or not. Yeah, so we'll, I mean, we got six months and we'll let you know yeah. when we get closer. We'll let you know when we know. But I am curious, if we don't wind up doing it next year and, and covering like all the, the four years, you know, 1944, 1954, yeah. et cetera, it may be an interesting time to shake up the format a little bit. That's true. So let us know if if you enjoy this work through the decades process, we could do that. If the, you would rather just have us focus on a specific decade, like really focus on a decade, focus on a director, yeah. focus on a theme, a genre. I mean, there's lots of different angles yeah, we could take. there are. And this method of going through decades has been fun in it's terms of- It's been a of, lot of fun. Yeah, get ni- a nice breadth of stuff. But if that's something that people would like to focus on something more specific, I'd be curious to know that. But let us know your thoughts. You can uh, contact us where, Nick? Everywhere. No, um, you can contact us on Twitter X, theoretically. <laughs> um, on Facebook, you can email us at derailedtrains at gmail.com. We'd love to um, answer your emails. Always visit us at derailedtrainsofthought.com. Visit us, uh, listen to all our episodes from all our podcasts. Yep, the website will be up even when we go on hiatus. Mm -hmm. So actually, Nick, we're approaching, maybe with this episode, I got to remember, on the back end of the website, it lists how many episodes we have. We're like around 500 episodes between our three podcasts. Most of those are on the weekly hijack, of course. Yeah, yeah. Which, <laughs> Which we have one of those. We have, we have a one-off episode one of these days we got to do. That's true. We'll do one-off for weekly hijack at some point. But yeah. that, that's our instant reactions to TV. So it's a very rough ep- podcast. Yeah, it's but, much more off the cuff. Yeah, but it's fun in that in that sense. I guess that's it. So, I guess that's um, all we got. Th- <laughs> yes, that's all we've got. Thank you for listening to uh, season two. We've really enjoyed it. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Um, found some new movies that you've not seen before. This has been Nick. And this is Tim. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Adios. Bye-bye.